Let us pray. Father, as we come to you, we come rejoicing, we come desiring that our lives would be impacted by your word. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would teach us, that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word and our minds to comprehend the truth of your word and our our hearts to love the truth of your word so that we might live your word faithfully. And so, God, we ask this morning that you would speak to your people, for we are listening. Peer deep into our hearts and our minds, our lives, and God, transform us, we pray. Now, Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, if you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. Matthew, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, going through verse 12 will be our text this morning. And the title of the message is, Christ has come, Christ is coming again. As we have seen, the theme of this morning's service is the imminent return of Christ. We are looking forward and and preparing our hearts this Advent season for the return of Christ. So we celebrate that Christ has come. And as we have been singing already this morning, we are celebrating that He is coming again. That we have hope that He will return And so this morning, if you found your place in chapter 3, verse 1 of Matthew, let it be known by saying amen. Follow along as as I read. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sin, their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable or inextinguishable fire. May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. John the Baptist was calling people, calling God's people to prepare for the kingdom of heaven. 
He was calling them to do this by living fruit-bearing lives that demonstrated true repentance. And I want us to see this morning that as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we are not only to confess that Jesus is Lord, but we are also to model a sensitive heart that is transformed by God's word and, and is transformed our lives toward following God's ways. Our lives and our proclamation must serve then to call and prepare others for the coming kingdom of heaven. That's what John the Baptist is getting at as he's calling God's people to hear this message. Israel has been oppressed and they've been dominated by foreign kings and foreign nations for for quite some time now, for far too long. And they're ready. They're looking expectantly for the Messiah. And when John the Baptist comes preaching, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Many people begin to listen and begin to hear. So in chapter 3, verse 1, he begins by saying, Now in, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Matthew kind of skips ahead from chapters 1 and 2 all the way from the night of Jesus' birth to the inauguration of his public ministry. The same light that penetrated the darkness of night and led the Magi, the wise men, to discover Jesus in Bethlehem is now appearing and will appear through the ministry of Jesus Christ as he's speaking his light into the world. And his light will penetrate and does penetrate the darkness of the souls of men and women. And this is the hope of the gospel. This is the point of of Jesus' incarnation of his coming. And then that he will come again. We have hope that not only has he already come, but he is returning to take us to be at home with him for eternity. Matthew 1.21 says... He will save his people from their sins. You see, the fullness of time had come. This was the time to which all the patriarchs and the prophets of old looked and they prophesied and they spoke about. As Drew shared a moment ago, we kind of sit back as like the Old Testament prophets and we kind of get a glimpse of what they were longing for in the coming of Christ. And we, as the New Testament church, have this understanding of we are longing for the imminent return of Christ. Where we, we are living our lives saying, come Lord Jesus, knowing that to be with Christ is better than even being in this world. And so the fullness of time had come. This was the fulfillment of God's word. Jesus entered humanity and John the Baptist is announcing in verse 2 for all to hear, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He has come. He is here. That was then and so we see now just as John the Baptist's preaching prepared his audience for Jesus' public ministry and for the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, our lives and proclamation must do the same today. I want us to, we got to hear this, church. We proclaim that Christ has come. And in doing so, here's what we're proclaiming. We are proclaiming freedom from bondage. We are proclaiming deliverance from sin. 
We are proclaiming hope for the hopeless because he is coming again. He didn't just come once and raise from the grave and ascend to the Father's right side in heaven. No, he is coming again to make all things new. And this is the hope of Advent. You see, the Advent season on the church calendar is is so much deeper than the American view of the Christmas holiday. Church, we we must be about preparing the way of Christ this Advent season. So as we think upon and hear this text this morning, let us ask this simple question. What does it mean in our lives to prepare the way of Christ during this Advent season? Personally, what does it mean for each of us as we consider our responsibility and our role in preparing for Advent this season, for the coming of Christ? Two things. First, I think it points us to see that there's an invitation to personal preparation. And this invitation to personal preparation calls us to closely examine our own lives. But secondly, we'll see the evidence of genuine repentance beckons us to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. First, the, the invitation of personal preparation in, in verses 1 through 6 This call in verse 2 is issued to God's true people. God is proclaiming through John the Baptist, make ready for your king. Prepare the way for the Messiah. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message for God's covenant people is simply this. Your Messiah has come. Repent, recognize that your Messiah is here. And we ought to see the call of preparation as an invitation to us to to repentance in our own lives. John's message challenges us that mere confession of belief in Jesus isn't enough. Our lives must demonstrate a readiness for Christ's return. And so one reason that, that Advent is celebrated annually by the church is because we need this reminder in our lives. We need to be reminded that that Christ is returning, that this is not all there is to life. We we need to keep the big picture in front of us because too often we we lose sight of Christ's imminent return. And if, if if we're truthful this morning with ourselves, we don't often focus on the coming, the return of Christ, that he is returning to take us to be at home with him. He's returning to make all things new, to to fulfill all that he has promised he will do. Too often we focus on the trials and difficulties of this life, and it weighs us down and we lose sight of Christ, our hope, or or maybe the other the other side of the, the spectrum is, tr- is, is true for us, that we focus too much on, on our prosperity in a land of milk and honey, that we forget about the goodness of God and that he is truly coming back to restore all things and to make all things new. Let us not get distracted from what God is calling us to in the invitation of, of per- personal preparation here through, throughout Advent. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, Jesus taught his disciples to pray in this way. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Jesus taught his disciples through prayer to be prepared, to be ready, engaging in God's coming kingdom. And for you and I as disciples of Christ, we too are are called into personal preparation to join with God in the work that he is doing. And seeing the kingdom of heaven come on earth as it is in heaven. Paul uses this anticipatory language as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, when he says, If anyone does not love the world, Jesus is, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus, he is to be accursed. And then he says, Maranatha, our Lord, come. John uses the same language in Revelation 22, 20. Whenever at the end of the book of Revelation, he says, Amen, come Lord Jesus. You see, personal readiness is crucial in the life of God's people. And it's crucial because it it points us to see the bigger picture that we're in the world, but we're not of the world. And we have a a mission in the world as we seek to live faithfully for for God's glory. And so the call is personal readiness. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I think there are two challenges of of personal preparation that we need to see first in verses 1 through 6. And that in verse 2 where he says, repent, uh, simply this, we must repent. Brothers and sisters, our lives must be about repenting. The fact that we need to repent means that we have sin in our lives Repentance here in this passage is it's a command and it means a complete turning of of the person. It's where the inward conscience changes and our and our heart is turned toward God. God, it it involves a, a turn and a change in our attitude toward God. The truly repentant person experiences sorrow, even grief over his or her sin. Not sorrow because we've been caught in sin, but sorrow because we have sinned against God. We have turned against God. One man said it's much easier to repent of sins that we've committed than to repent of those that we intend to commit. You see, repentance involves a heart attitude. It's a a turning and a change of our heart. It's not just saying we're sorry because we know it's what we're supposed to do. I'm sure you've seen this modeled in the lives of children as you've maybe seen them bickering and fighting with one another. Out of anger, one, and and out of retribution, one goes and hurts the other because they have been hurt or, or they've been called a name maybe. And so they go and they retaliate and hurt. And then it sounds like in, in, in our home, it, it sounded like this. Not all the time, but sometimes it sounds like this. It, why'd you say that to your brother? I don't know. Uh, Why'd you say it? I don't know. Well, you need to go and tell your brother you're sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. No, you need to mean it. I'm sorry. All right, now give him a hug. No, give him a hug. Okay. You need to mean it. You know, they hug. You know, this isn't true repentance, is it? It's not true sorrow. This is not true sorrow that repentance calls us to. In 2 Corinthians 7.10, the Apostle Paul says, for, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Listen, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, God is concerned 
with the attitude of our hearts toward him. That's why in Proverbs 23, 26, the Proverbs say, give me your heart, my son. The wise father speaking to his son says, give me your heart, my son, and let your eyes delight in my ways. This is God speaking to us as his children. Give me your heart. Let your eyes delight in my ways. Follow me. Turn your heart toward me. You see, part of personal preparation this Advent season is allowing our hearts to be turned and shaped and molded through repentance, seeing our sin and our offense before holy God and then repenting and and seeking His forgiveness. Repentance involves confessing our sin. We see this in verse 6. They were being baptized by Him, by John in the Jordan River, as they confessed their sin. You see, confession and repentance goes hand in hand. Confession is, is truthfully acknowledging our guilt in sinning against God. We can't truly repent without confessing our sins before God. And here's what happens. As we vocalize our sin before God, we're confessing our need for His forgiveness. Listen, if we're going to be prepared and ready for the kingdom of heaven and the imminent return of Christ, that which we don't know when is going to happen, It's imperative that we live confessional lives. Not in the sense that if we die in sin that that we're lost and and, and going to hell, but but in the sense that we, we want to be ready. We want to be living every moment fully for the glory of God. We want our lives to be radiating a, a, a testimony for God's goodness. And to those who have not ever confess Christ as Lord and and repented of sin, I I would challenge you and encourage you, don't leave here today. If the Lord is speaking into your life and the Holy Spirit is drawing your heart, confess Him as Lord. Acknowledge the guilt of your sin before God. Confess that to Him and and ask Him to uh, surrender your life and ask Him to, to fill you and to save you. They were coming to John and John was baptizing them and in the Jordan River, John's baptism here, it's a symbolic baptism. It's symbolic of their repentance from sin. It it symbolized their purification. And for them, it was a step toward personal preparation in the lives, in their lives, for the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. And I think this leads us to the second challenge of personal preparation. Not only is the attitude of my heart to change, but listen, the direction of my life must turn. You see, this is what happens when repentance is genuine and true in our lives. Our direction changes and and turns. It's It's that 180 that you've heard talked about before. Repentance is you're heading this way and 180 is you turn and no longer are you heading down the path that you were heading, but you've you've turned and now you're pursuing God's way and God's direction. And John the Baptist speaks in verse 3, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make His paths straight. He is, he is calling us to clear the obstacles out of our lives. This is part of the disciples' responsibility in walking with Christ. We clear the obstacles out of our lives so that we might see the path that is laid before us. So we might walk faithfully according to God's leading. 
the prophecy of Isaiah 43 that John the Baptist quotes here and speaks of here, it pictures the road being cleared as the king is entering the city. Every hindrance is removed. Every roadblock is taken out of the way. John's calling God's people through repentance to make ready the way of the Lord. Make the path straight. I think John calls us to clear the obstacles out of our own lives so that we will be prepared for the Lord's coming. Know those things which hinder us. Those sinful snares that deplete our spiritual vitality. He's saying we must cast them aside. As the author of Hebrews in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 writes, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is marked before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Church, now is not the time to dabble in our sin Now is the time to be devoted to our Savior. And just as the children of Israel anticipated the coming of Messiah, so we, the children of God, must be ready. We must be spiritually alert and eagerly anticipating the imminent return of Christ because He has given us hope. Matthew 24, 42, Jesus warns the crowd that's following Him, Therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know which day the Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time in the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert. He would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. It scares me when I hear people say, I'll I'll commit my life to Christ tomorrow. I'll get serious about my relationship with the Lord tomorrow. I'll start, I'll start focusing on Christ when, you know, when I get a family. That, that's the thing I'm going to do whenever, whenever I get a family. or I, I've got time in life. Hear the call of Scripture. Hear the, hear the call of the gospel this morning. Now is the time. Today is the time. Don't look past this moment. For the return of Christ is imminent. He has come once to bring salvation, to free us from bondage. And He will come again to take us to be at home with Him, to to be in His eternal kingdom. But the condition for that is genuine repentance. You see, the, the invitation to personal preparation calls us to closely examine our lives. What are the attitudes of our heart toward God? What about the direction of our lives? Are, 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 we, are we living according to God's way? Are we entrusting our heart to Him, following Him? What are the obstacles in your life that are hindering you, keeping you from being prepared for the kingdom of heaven? Is there unconfessed sin that you're holding on to and you don't want to let go of? Is there addiction in your life that you are struggling to beat, but you just, you keep trying in your own strength and you're, you're not able? Has gossip so gripped your tongue that it's making you critical of everyone else and, and isolating you really from others? Or slander, or, or maybe the critical nature? It, what is it that's keeping you? What obstacles are in your life that are hindering you 
from being prepared for the kingdom of heaven. I pray this morning that you'll confess those obstacles before the Lord and will not continue to harbor them in your life, but will will come to him dependent upon him. If the first implication, the invitation of personal preparation was was really internal. The second implication this morning is external. The evidence of genuine repentance in verses seven through twelve. This is really a, a call to action. Genuine repentance is proven through a fruit-bearing life. We see this in verses 7 and 8. He saw the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, and he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. I was talking this week. We were doing some discussion about this passage and just some family devotion time. And I asked I ask the children, I said, <clears throat> what kind of fruit does an orange tree bear? It bears an orange. What kind of fruit does an apple tree bear? It bears apples, Dad. What about a fig tree? What? Figs. Pear. Pear. What kind of fruit does, does a Christian bear? What kind of fruit should we expect to see? And should our lives be bearing for Christ? In John 15, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, you'll bear much fruit. But listen, apart from me, you can do nothing, right? Hear what John the Baptist is saying. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance A life of genuine repentance will be proven through the type of fruit that we bear. Hear what the Apostle Paul said, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. For you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. You are now light in the Lord. Walk then as children of light. Or 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, of lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all these, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Listen, church, the action, the behavior of my life will be consistent with the attitude of my heart before God. And he calls us that our attitudes would be turned through repentance. You see, the disciples life is marked by fruit for the kingdom of heaven. Christian love and Christian service and and humility and and, and praising God. Our our lives are to be marked distinctly different as salt and as light. Not only do we see that genuine repentance is proven through fruit-bearing life, the second characteristic we see of genuine repentance is that it means we are empowered with spirit-filled living. We are empowered with spirit-filled living. In verses 9 and 11, 
We see that profession alone is not enough. John the Baptist sees the Sadducees, the religious leaders coming, and he asks them who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And then verse 9 he says, Do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. You see, the Pharisees and Sadducees were quick to presume upon God that because of their ancestral roots, that they were in good standing with God. But what they continually missed throughout Jesus' ministry was that their hearts were far from God. And Jesus chastised them in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. You see, here's the thing, church. Being fit for the kingdom of heaven It isn't concerned with religious pedigree. It's not concerned with how long we've been a member of a church, or it's not even concerned with how good we are, the good deeds that we do. It's not concerned with who we associate with, our positions that our parents held in church, or maybe positions that we've even held in church. Preparation for the kingdom of heaven is dependent on what verse 11 says. And verse 11 says, He who is coming after me is mightier than I, And I am not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Get this. To be baptized with the Holy Spirit means to experience God's indwelling presence in this life. And to be baptized with fire means to experience God's judgment. And what he's saying is those who are genuinely repentant will be baptized with the Holy Spirit and will live a spirit-filled life. Life. As Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Titus 3.5, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 23, we saw that Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he'll hear my word, he'll keep my word. And then the Father and I, we will come to him and we will make our abode with him. You see, genuine repentance in the life of the believer is manifested through spirit-filled living. The life of Disciples of Christ will walk as we are guided. We we will be guided by the Holy Spirit as he directs us in our life and as we live for God's glory. There's a consequence of not bearing good fruit that we see in verses 10 and 12. And he says the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, he cuts down the trees that bear bad fruit. The question isn't, will we bear fruit? The question is, what type of fruit Are we bearing? Are we bearing fruit for the kingdom of heaven? Are we bearing fruit of the kingdom of this world? And church, this causes us, calls us to take an internal look and examine our own hearts before God. The direction of our lives before God. The second picture we see in verse 12, the threshing floor and the winnowing fork. It's sorting through the wheat and the chaff, throwing it up in the air so that the chaff blows away and the wheat falls back to the ground. 
And he says the chaff will be burned up by the unquenchable or inextinguishable fire. But the wheat, wheat will be stored in the house of God, in God's barn. So John the Baptist calls us to a life of repentance. He he calls us to, to lives of proclamation where we serve others and we call others to be prepared for the kingdom of heaven. And we examine our own lives to be prepared for the kingdom of heaven, watching, eagerly waiting for the imminent return of Christ. John the Baptist was a herald proclaiming the arrival of the kingdom of God. And the call to the church today is no different. We are to proclaim the good news of the arrival of Christ the King. And we are to take His message to the nations. Because we know that His return is imminent. And we must be ready for His return. And so our lives are to be lived and and we are to proclaim this gracious work of God through sending Christ, that he will also come again and make all things new. We are to call others as well to be prepared for the coming kingdom of heaven. The question I want to leave you with today, two, first, are you living like today is the day of Christ's return? Examine our lives. Are we, we ready for the return of Christ? Secondly, Maybe this morning you're here and you've never repented of your sin and confessed Christ as Lord. And if that's you, I want to challenge you this morning to confess Jesus as Lord. If the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and drawing you, maybe, maybe you've been attending church for a long time, but you've never truly confessed and repented of your sin. Today can be the day. Don't look past today. This isn't a scare tactic. Just don't look past today. Today is the day of salvation. Let me pray for us. And you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. Let's pray. Father, by your grace this morning we have come to gather here to worship you. And as we celebrate your coming to give us salvation... Lord, teach us to be prepared for your imminent return. Lord, teach us deeply how to long for the return of your coming. Lord, I pray that if there are any this morning who have not confessed you as Lord, that you would give them strength to do so. That They would confess their sin before you and believe upon the gift of eternal life through the cross. And they might confess you as Lord for the very first time. I pray that you would strengthen us this morning with your word. Fill us with the hope and the joy of your salvation. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Let's sing what we believe together. Thank you.